This is the I Want to Play College Golf podcast. We talk to those who coached and those who have played college golf, so you can learn what it takes to be a college golfer. Are you ready to tee off? Let's go. My name is Paul Brown. I am 65 years old, <laughs> and uh, I have been a PGA golf professional for over 25 years, and I have worked for the U.S. Kids Golf Association for over 20. Like, actually, no, this is my 20th year. Whoa. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. Yeah. A lot longer than you girls have been around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So for the first question, how'd you get started with golf? Interestingly enough, I started when I was eight years old. Why I remember that, I don't know. But I was at my optometrist or ophthalmologist office getting fitted for uh, some glasses. And he started uh, talking about golf, and I expressed an interest in it. And uh, next thing you know, he's bringing by a set of golf clubs to my house and said, these are for you to go and uh, play. And I was hooked on the game from that day forward. I, um, I was a range rat my entire life. I just, I never really had a formal lesson. I'm for the most part, I'm self-taught. Oh, that's nice. So this is also back in the day when, you know, there was no such thing as coaching like you girls have now. I mean, you know, everybody's got specialty codes. They got a coach, they got a psychology coach, they got a conditioning coach. My, my idea of a coach was my PE coach. (laughs) (laughs) so what was your typical day like in your junior career doing a lot of winning I won a lot um I will be very frank with you our family was known as the uh the tournament family or you know the the you know very very good players my brother Phil and I grew up and we played a lot of junior golf I played high school golf our high school team was amazing uh we had a record of we won over, in my four years, we won over 60, 60 events, 60 dual matches. I came in second in state. I never did win state, unfortunately. But, you know, for me, it's just junior golf was the precursor to everything else that I wanted to do. But I want to, I mean, I won, I had over 100 junior golf trophies that I eventually just threw away because, you know, I had no place to storm. Mm. And, um, but I mean, I, I mean, I won at every level, high school junior golf, collegiately, things like that. That's awesome. I know people look at me and they go, you're such a little runt. How did you ever get to be good? And, (laughs) you know, but hey, I was my, from a hundred yards in, I was very good. Mm -hmm. I was excellent, actually. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And so what were your favorite or memorable tournaments that you played growing up? Oh gosh. Whenever, whenever our team traveled, our high school team would travel once in a while. And Oh my God, we had so much fun prior to high school. You really don't have the, the closeness that you, that you would develop that you do with your high school team. Our high school guys, we did everything together. We partied together. We went to the drive-in movies together. We went to walk-in movies together. I went over to their house. They came over to my house. I mean, it was all about team. Oh my gosh, we had fun. And then we also traveled when we would go to state. And those are, those are memories that I'll never forget. They, they're, they're spectacular. I still remember them to this day. They sound so fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a blast. Mm-hmm. What were your greatest achievements as a junior? 
my greatest achievement as a junior? Well, I would hope that my peers knew that when I was in a golf tournament, they knew that I was there to win. Mm-hmm. And I didn't win all the time, but you know, I, I did a, I did a, I did more than my fair share of winning. And I would believe that, I mean, I had a good relationship with a lot of my peers and I had some that were, I was rivals with that, you know, the relationship wasn't there. But at the end of the day, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that I was honest to a fault in that I, I was known as a guy that had integrity when he played golf, that you didn't have to worry about counting my strokes. And that when I came in and posted a score, you knew it was accurate because um, I wanted kids to know that I, I didn't want to beat you with my pencil. I wanted to beat you with my sticks. Mm-hmm. And I think that would probably be my greatest achievement. You know, I think being a, being a leader on my high school team was a, quite an honor, you know, because I was able to, because I, I made my freshman, I made my varsity team as a freshman, mm-hmm. played varsity all four years. Uh, that, I thought that was a pretty good achievement. In, high, in college, it's a different story. You know, it, it was, I was just a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, nothing great because, I mean, let's face it. You know, I, I tell people to relate to it this way. Your college team is basically the number one high school players in the entire country getting together in one spot. Yeah. So that's, that's how difficult college is. And it's the same way with going pro. You know, it's the number one college players all getting together in one spot. So, so it's, it's a whole different level, mm-hmm. whole different level. Yeah, that sounds tough. Yeah. Yeah. So enjoy. I would just tell you girls, if I had to tell you anything at all, just enjoy the experience. Enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's hard when you're not playing well to enjoy it. But you will someday have a family and kids of your own. And you're probably maybe you'll introduce them to golf. Mm-hmm. I want you to have nothing but the fondest of memories of, of what your parents were able to do for you. And that is to introduce you to the game that I know you guys both love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so many memories. Yeah. <laughs> and think how young you are and you still have memories already, right? Yeah. I visited, by the way, I visited with your mom and dad the other day, mm-hmm. uh, actually your dad. And I told him, I go, I remember like it was yesterday. Do you remember where your first tournament was with us? Prim uh, Valley. Uh, at Atlanta? I don't know. How I, thought, I thought it was in Mountain Falls. Uh, I, no, I think Maybe it wasn't. It was in Prim Valley, really? I thought it was Mountain Falls. Oh, uh, me? Yeah, well, I thought it was. I just remember you guys being in Mountain Falls, and I remember your, your dad and mom. The, the, you've heard the term. Have you heard that term, you know, deer with headlights? You know, your, your eyes are like deer with headlights on them. Uh, and your yeah. mom and dad were so nervous. <laughs> because Dr. Dr. Wu convinced them to put you into the tournament, and you girls shot a million, and you had a blast. Mom and Dad had a blast, but everybody was so nervous. Mm. You don't, yeah, I do remember that though. I thought it was Prim, and then like I shot. Maybe a it was. What did you shoot, by the way? I shot a seventy-three. <laughs> oh my goodness! You played eighteen, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. But I mean, think about that. But it was fun, though. I mean, I just those are those are memories that I just the 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 fond memories that I'm going to take for me is not my playing accomplishments or my whatever I've you know done with golf. It's my my memories are going to be all the fun times I've had with the kids and the wonderful relationships that I've developed with parents. That to me is the most meaningful part of, of golf without a doubt. 
So, how did you manage to get into the University of Arizona golf team? Played real well. <laughs> That's all I can tell you is that back in the day, back in those days, it isn't like it is now to where you can play tournaments all over the country. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. When I was eight years old, there was one tournament per year huh? that, you, that you played for for the entire summer. And what you would do is there'd be one tournament. It was called like the Tucson City Junior Amateur. And that would be the only tournament that you would play for the entire summer. Then uh, later on, the, the Ricky Rarick Junior Golf Tour came along and we only played during the summer. And there was only eight events or nine events or how many events it was. And then they topped it off with a tournament of champions. And then, then, you don't, then you wouldn't play for months. I would. I would practice, mind you, or play. And then you would then, – then once you got to high school, then you would have high school season. It's not like it is now where there's a junior golf tournament somewhere, everywhere in the country. I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to play well. And, and with, because of my Tucson ties, I was able to – call the coach and say, Hey, look, I'd like to, I'd like to try out for the team. And, and when I tried out, he said, absolutely. We want you on the team. Now it's not like it is now. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's so different. So, so different. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, good job. <laughs> yeah. And just to clarify, did you get a scholarship there? Um, I was a walk on and um, the, how can I say this here? It was a minimal amount, books and things like that. But because I lived locally, because I've lived in Tucson, I didn't really need a lot of money for to play with them. So it was more of a, I just played. Yeah. they We had guys who were superstars on the team who were getting the scholarships. Ah. And so how was your experience there? It was fun, but it was, it's doggy dog in college. I would be very honest with you. In other words, you would have qualifiers. Uh-huh. And you either you do well in the qualifiers or you don't play. Whereas on your high school team, the difference is you, you play. And so I rode the bench a little bit, which I was fine with that. Uh, I did get a chance to play in some tournaments, and I did, did well with ones. But I, I knew going after my junior year, I knew that I wasn't going to, you know, be good enough to play golf professionally and earn money professionally. And then that's when I decided to um, pursue the what I call the – PGA golf professional side of it. And, and I'm glad I did that. I mean, it's, it's been a great career for me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've made lots of friends along the way. And so it's been good. Oh, that's nice. So why did you choose to go to the university of Arizona? Mostly is because of financial reasons, because my parents couldn't afford to send me out of state. I had some interest from colleges out of state, but again, you know, they were only offering a 50% scholarship. And so the money, was the was the predicament that we were in, and they couldn't afford to uh, send me to, you know, Florida International. Yeah, that other, you know, I had other colleges looking at me, and I, I just told them, I said, hey, I said, I can't. Either it's a full scholarship or I can't go. So that's why I stayed local. Because mm-hmm. I lived at home. I lived at home while I was playing. I didn't live in a dorm or anything. I lived at home. Mm-hmm. Oh, that must have been convenient. <laughs> oh, it was, but I mean, it would have been nice to to afford to live on campus. I always wanted to join, but again, it was all about money. I mean, because um, when I wasn't playing on the team, I was either I was going to school and working, and uh, and if I wasn't going to school and working, then I was going to school and playing. So it was um, it was it was a tough road. Mm-hmm. 
but it was fun. I mean, I don't look back on it with any drudgery. I look back on it. It was fun. But, but that's why I chose Arizona because I couldn't afford to travel. Out of, I couldn't afford to, to play for anybody out of state. What do you think that made the golf coach pick you? Aside from doing his research on how well I played in high school, they interview you and they, you know, they ask you questions. They, 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 back then it probably wasn't like it is now where they give you personality tests and they want to make sure that you're going to be a good fit. Um, you sit down with the coach and I actually, you actually go and play golf with him. Oh. And I went, I went and played golf with my coach and he does an evaluation on you. And then he says, I'll get back with you. And then, um, Shortly thereafter, he said, hey, we'd like to invite you to be on the team. So that's how they did it back then. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Not like it is now, girls. You're going to find it's a whole different ball game. I mean, there's it, girls golf. There are so many opportunities for you. So many. Mm-hmm. So how would you manage to balance out school and golf? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to do nothing but play. I really and, – and this, this, and this, this is to my own – detriment I guess you could say when I was in college I only studied enough to get C's I will be very honest with you I'm just going to be as honest as I can be I did not go there to to get an education I wanted to play and I practiced all the time because I wanted to be good and so my motivation was that looking back should probably put more effort into school but I just didn't have that I just didn't want to but I went back to school it's really funny is I after I um had an opportunity to go back to school for a year, uh, I got straight A's. So I knew I had the brain capacity to do it. Mm-hmm. I just had different priorities. And my priorities when I was on the college team was I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And that's where I put all my efforts. So did I, did I study as much as I could have? No. Did I learn to study better as I got older? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have that luxury because now if you're not running a 3.0, they probably won't let you play. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> your mom and dad put some heat on you for your grades, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you've been a member of the PGA of America since 1987. How do you know that? How do you know that, by the way? I, um, there was this. Did you Google me? Did you Google me? Yeah, yes. we Googled you. Yeah, I've been with them since 1987. Mm-hmm. And how was your experience there? What did I do? It was good, you know, and I don't want to get negative uh, at all. Back in the '80s, being a PGA golf professional was was almost like being a doctor. And I don't want to equate it as far as you know the 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 smartness of one, but people revere you. I mean, you would go to a party, and you know, as soon as people know you're a golf professional, it's like boom, you're, it's like, it's like bees to, to a flower. I mean, they all want to talk to you. They all want to tell you about the last round of golf. They want to you know they're, they're, they, they're, they're envious of the fact that you are a PGA golf professional. They go, Oh my God, I wish I could play golf like you. And, and you, you know, that's how it is. But unfortunately, you know, the golf management companies have taken all the glamor out of the, out of the industry. You know, now it's just all corporate, kind of like what's happened with the strip. You know, this court, the strip one time was, was run by, individuals now it's all corporate and it's lost it loses its its hominess and i think the same things happen in the golf industry you know it's um i mean like think for yourself you know how many golf professionals do you really know in town versus back in the 80s you'd have known them all because you would you would have encountered them in the golf shop now all the golf professionals hang out in their offices and they don't talk to anybody 
Ah. So it's, it's, it's a big difference. It's, it really is. And I'm sure your dad could probably tell you the same things happen in the medical field. You know, it used to be you had a relationship with your, with your general practitioner or doctor. Now you go to the doctor. One time you get Mr. Smith and other times you get Mr. Jones and other times you get Mr. Valentine. I mean, you don't, you don't ever see the same doctor. Whereas when I was growing up as a kid, I had the same doctor from the time I was a kid till the time I went off to college. Mm-hmm. So things changed. Things have changed. Yeah. And did you have to go through a process to become a member? Oh, yeah. Very arduous process. Um, I'll never forget when I'm in my first PGA school, there's um, 600 of us in the room, something like that. I mean, it was huge, huge number. And the guy, the guy says like this, he says, look to the person on your left and look to the person on your right. He goes, here's what's going to happen. Both of them are probably not going to make it. And, and the same thing that's going to happen with you, the guy next to you is going to look at you and you're, he's going to look at that guy and they're probably not going to make it. The fail rate, the fail rate in uh, PGA school number one was uh, 75%. That was the fail rate. Fail rate number two was 80%. So you really had to work your butt off in order to, to get through those things. And I was fortunate. I got through real quick. Then the other thing you have to do in order to become a PGA member, you have to pass what's called a PAT test, which is a plain ability test. There were, and I've actually conducted those when I worked for the Southwest section, but at my particular uh, one, there was 72 players there. Me and one other guy were the only two that passed. Everybody else did not, did not hit their target score. Our target score for the two days or for the, for the two rounds was one, 150, and I think my I think I shot 144, if I recall. And another guy that I that I that his name was was Bobby Brown, and he had I think 143, one shot better than me. The other 70 players were all above 150, so it was a pretty pretty high pretty high uh, crash rate for a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I but but to my to my benefit though I I would I had just finished playing college golf, so I was. I was already season seasonally tough, mm-hmm. but it's a, uh, it's a process you go. And back when I did it, you went through business school, one business school, two business school, three, then you have to go through a oral interview mm-hmm. and then you had to accumulate so many, what they call points. And what you do is every month you work within the industry, you get a point and you had to accumulate, I think it was 72 points. And once you get the 72 points, then you can apply for membership. So it was, it was a, it was a tough process, probably not as tough as it is now, but it was a tough process. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. So it's a lot of work. So like, would you consider that as well? Like, will you guys play professionally on tour and stuff like that once you got in or no you you what you would you have what you call and and this is this is a, a, a you're getting a draw on a fine line here you have people who are golf professionals mm-hmm. and then you have people who are professional golfers and hopefully you understand the distinction because if you're a golf professional you work in the industry you you play tournaments you just don't play in like the guys that are touring professionals uh-huh. and um so i was never a touring professional but i played I played state tournaments. One of my biggest honors that I that I achieved one time for myself that I was really proud of is the Southwest Amateur came to Tucson one year. And it was played at one of my favorite courses. It was called Tucson Country Club. 
very prestigious private club in, in Arizona, Tucson. Mm-hmm. And uh, out of a 144-player field, I was the low Tucsonan in the field. Wow. And that was an honor. I mean, I think I finished in the top 10. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that was an honor for me because, you know, that was in a very – at that time, that was a very elite tournament. Mm-hmm. So it was it was quite an honor. I mean, to, you know, do that. So I wish I could have afforded. Uh, you know, I just couldn't. My parents didn't have a lot of money, but um, it would have been nice to have traveled all over the country. But mm-hmm. playing, but you do what you got to do. You know. Yeah. Well, that sounds like such a great experience. How long did you play professionally? Really didn't play on the tour professionally. So, but but I mean, I've been a PGA member for over twenty five years, but I didn't play on like what you I didn't play at the level the Tiger Woods plays at yeah yeah and then I don't know if it was you or not but I think it mentioned that like a Paul Brown played on the Corn Ferry tour was that you or no 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 that was not Mm -hmm. I think the Corn Ferry tour has not been around that long has it I don't think so Uh, that I'm that I'm aware of that I'm aware of I don't think it's been around that long so no I I've never played on the Corn Ferry tour Oh, oh, okay. Paul Brown's a pretty common name. I <laughs> <laughs> like your names. <laughs> Even though your first names are common. Yeah, yeah. 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 What were your, some of your most memorable tournaments when you were playing? Well, I was the player of the year uh, in what was called the um, Colorado River players association i guess you could call it and what we did was we had a whole bunch of players that from courses that were around the colorado river it was because i when i was a golf professional at that time and i was in parker arizona and um i was at emerald canyon working emerald canyon and so we would go around and play all these tournaments all at these guys courses and they kept track of you with your points because you accumulated points on how you finished and i was player of the year the year that i was there with that Colorado River tour, uh, but that was that was quite an honor. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of the things that I really enjoyed was that at my at my home golf course mm-hmm. in Tucson, three years running, uh, we had a pro am every year at my course with our with our local PGA. And three years running, I won. I was low pro three years straight, and I've beaten and I'm beating two of the players in our field were tour players. But because it was on my home course, I kicked their butt. <laughs> I kicked their butt. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, and then also, you know, just, just shooting low rounds. I was the course record holder at my course with a nine under par. And uh, so, so it, I mean, you know, like my wife tells me all the time, you know, she goes, you're always very humble. You don't like talking about yourself. And I don't. But uh, since you're asking me, though, but I mean, I was, I mean, I, I like going low. Mm-hmm. And I used to play state events. I used to go play tournaments in Prescott all over. And, you know, I loved, I loved playing competitively. That was, that was something that I really, truly enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds so fun. When did you move to Vegas and started getting involved with U.S. Kids? Moved to Vegas in 95. Mm-hmm. And right around the year 2000, uh, I'm working at Highland Falls, uh-huh. And I get a I get a phone call from from US Kids and they ask me if I'd like to run a junior world qualifier Ooh. or a junior you know P, uh, US Kids world qualifier. I said absolutely, have no problem. And from running that qualifier with them, I developed a relationship to where we started doing the local tour 
And before you know it, you're, you're full fledged. I mean, like I said, I started with them when I started doing us kids, we were averaging about 30 kids per event first year, maybe one or two girls in the entire field. Whoa. Now, 20 years later, we're averaging about 90 <laughs> and 40% of our field is girls. And I think part of that is the fact that, you know, we made, we made it very welcome for them. We, we wanted them to think that, hey, this is a great place to be. This is an opportunity. I would always encourage the parents, you know, hey, if you know of any girls out there, please, you know, have give me a call. I think the fact that I personalized it with, you know, almost like a one-stop shop in that, you know, I would meet parents and they would say, hey, recommend a coach to me. Hey, recommend this or what else can we do? And, you know, I just immersed myself in it. And I, I think part of the fact that you make them feel welcome is why your the tour develops. But I just like the fact that, you know, we're at 40%, we're Vegas is, is one of the highest percentages of girls participation in the country. Oh, really? Yeah. Most of the, the average, I was talking to the director, the average girl participation, participation in the country is about 20% and we're 40. So we're about double their average. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for all you do. It's like now it's all for oh. you. Yeah. Thank you. And then how long have you been on the U.S. Kids? This is my 20th year with them. 20th? <laughs> 20th year. Yeah. 20th year. I know. It, it seems like a career right now at this point. I mean, you figure you do anything for 20 years. You've done it for a while. But it's, but it's been a passion for me. I mean, it's funny, you know, I worked at courses and, you know, you enjoy that. But once I found myself working golf tournaments, I knew I found my passion. And it's, it's been that way for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, has COVID changed things? It has because it, it's been challenging. It's yeah. been challenging. You know, people are a lot more cranky. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it in, in your, you know, ongoings with the things you girls have done, but, but for the most part though, you know, I, I call it the night. Usually everybody talks about the 80, 20 rule or the 90, 10 rule. And I, and I say it's about the 95 or 96, 95% of the parents are beautiful, wonderful people. 5% of them, yeah, 100% of the kids are awesome. <laughs> I have never, I have never encountered one kid that, that I just felt like, wow, I wish he wouldn't play with us. I mean, there just, there just isn't any, I mean, kids are awesome. And it's, that's why it's so great to be around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I have so many memories that, that, that I can share with you with regards to kids. And because what I, what I, what I try to get the kids to realize is that, you know, it, golf is not a, a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's, it's a marathon. And, and as long as you don't lose sight of that and realize that, you know, it's a game that you'll play for the rest of your life, hopefully, it brings out your integrity. Yeah. It brings out the social aspects of it, you know, because while you're playing, you know, you can, be, you can be sociable. It brings out your competitiveness. Uh, it just develops so many parts of, your, of a personality that, that you just can't put a you can't put a number on or, or, or how, how that'll help you. And the things that I've had kids say to me over the years has been just so amazing. You know, I dedicate this win to you. Um, or you're such a mentor. I mean, things that just mean so much to me, you know, if it, if it weren't for the kids, I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I'll be very frank with you. If it weren't for the kids, people like yourself, mm -hmm. girls who I just, 
And I miss seeing you girls, by the way. I think you know that. But um, And I see miss seeing just seeing your mom and dad. But did you hear what U.S. Kids is going to be doing? Did your mom and dad share with you? No. We are going, and, and they're going to start it. We're going to kick it off, I hope, kick it off with my spring tour. Hmm. We're now going to be offering two-day events. It's oh. going to be for teenagers, 13 to 18. Mm-hmm. So the age division is going to be 13, 14, 15 to 18. Mm-hmm. HHGA stars and junior golf ranking. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was telling your dad, I said, if you, and, and here's the other thing, here's the other kicker to it. When I advertise these events, it just won't be advertised to, to Southern Nevada. It goes out to the entire country. Mm-hmm. So we'll have, we'll have people flying in from all over the country for our events. Yeah. So you're, you're going to see, you're going to see an amazing thing happen with junior golf uh, here in Vegas in this next year. Mm-hmm. Now you won't have to travel out of state so much. <laughs> yeah. What's some of the memorable experiences you had working at these associations? You know, if I had to say it, it's hopefully, I would never want to always give accolades to the best player. Mm-hmm. To me, it was always about giving accolades to a personal achievements. Thinking about when you even when you girls played with us, you know, you you award a you award a girl who finishes fifth place, but she has her best score ever. She just she finally broke forty for the first time. She shot thirty nine and came in fifth place. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would love saying okay, and today you know in fifth place with a thirty nine, her personal best, because you know at the end of the day, it, golf is always about your personal best not how you, what place you finished because you've got your whole life to finish. The only time, only time it matters to finish first place is when you're on the PGA tour or if you're playing in college beyond that, it really doesn't matter. So one of the things I always wanted to mentor kids and I've done a great job with it, I think is just, you tell them, you go, Hey, it's important to always be striving to do your best every event. And if your best today was a 39 and somebody else shot 36, that doesn't make you a failure. That just means that, Somebody at a different spot in their golfing career. Mm-hmm. And, but at the end of the day, it's all about your personal best. I'll never forget the story, and I tell this story all the time to kids. Mm-hmm. I had a young lady. She'd been playing golf over at um, Angel Park and only on the little par three course. And she thought she was ready to play tournament golf. And she shot 130 in her first round. Oh, interesting exactly and so after the awards are done and everything I'm, I'm kind of at the scoring table and I'm looking at her over in the corner and she is sobbing not just crying she is sobbing her shoulders are going up and down I mean she just she's so upset so I go over there and I put my arm around her and I say to her I go I go look I said let's 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 take some positives about today I said you shot 130 is that your best not even close you probably shot your worst round ever in your life. You may not ever shoot this round again that high. I said, so the takeaway from this event was that you had your worst round ever. You survived. And you can only get better from this day forward because all of the rounds are going to be compared to this round. I said, so don't worry about it. Every, from here on out, you're just going to, that we've given you your, your standard, your standard's 130. So next event, maybe it'll be 120, maybe 110. Pretty soon you'll break hundred pretty soon. But if the only reason you'll be a failure today will be if you quit. Mm-hmm. And if you quit because you did badly, 
then it's going to follow you throughout your whole life. And I said, that's not how life works. Life works where you learn more from failure than you do from successes. Mm -hmm. So take this, take what happened today and make that your personal thing to be that much better and work that much harder. Well, anyway, long story short, four years later, she graduates from high school and she ended up getting a scholarship. And maybe if I had, maybe if I hadn't talked to her that day, maybe she would have quit. So I look upon that as, as a, one of the things I've always tried to do is, you know, look for positives in anything with these kids, because at the end of the day, they're only trying to do their best. They don't purposely go out and try to miss pots. They don't purposely try to go out and play bad rounds. What I wish parents would realize sometimes, and I, I think your parents are pretty good about it, but, you know, don't berate your kid for a bad round. You know, you're, you're better off, you know, mentoring them after a bad round. You know, give them something positive. You know, I, I always tell parents this, you know, start off with something positive about the day, then maybe move into something critic, criticizing or, or being critical. I said, but if, but if all you do is criticize everything they do, eventually they're going to get tired of being criticized, and then they quit the game. And I tell parents that. I'll never forget one time this young man, his name was um, Matthew Churyunde. He was, he was He's Indian. And uh, he comes up to me, and he's only six years old at the time, and he, he knows no, tower, no taller than comes up to my waist. He, he hugs my leg, and he says, Mr. Brown, last week I came in second. He goes, this week I'm going to come in first and I dedicate this round to you. And he gives me this big hug and Oh my God, my heart just melted. I mean, it just, it just melted. I don't know if you know this young man, he's now playing for, for university of or UNLV Cameron Barskoff, but he, we had three or four events to go. I think it was three events to go. And he was out of the points. Uh, he wasn't in first or second, I think at the time, but we also, he also figured it out that I, I, I was looking at the points and I said to him, I go, Hey, I said, you got a shot. Don't give up. Don't give up. So he comes up to me the following tournament and he says, Paul, I'm going to win the last three events and I'm going to win the tour. And he says, and I'm going to dedicate them to you if I do and doggone if he didn't do it. So, you know, it, that, that to me is, is more special than, than, you know, the kid who's just the dominating kid at eight years old, six years old, because those kids who dominate when they're six, seven and eight, Typically, when they get to be teenagers, they you don't even hear about them. Yeah, and and you know that that's the hard part of golf is that you know it's it, it's a journey, it's it's a marathon. So, but I have so many stories. I mean, uh, that I share with the kids, you know, to inspire them. And but over the years, it's just been the relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're also wholesome. Um, and now you're also a coach at Faith Lutheran. I am. Um, yeah, how's that? Well, if we didn't have COVID, it'd be perfect <laughs> because this year I have six girls on the team. Two years ago, we had the state champion. Mm -hmm. I think you know Gracie, Gracie Okowski. Yeah. Yeah, Gracie, she was our state champion. We had Morgan on the team. This year, we have two seniors and mostly freshmen, a couple sophomores are spattered in there. But we actually might have a decent team. But again, COVID has just changed everything, though. Our season was supposed, you know, your season was supposed to start up in August and it's supposed to be done by what, October. Now I had a meeting yesterday and they're telling me that we may not even be able to start high school. I'm absolutely loving high school golf. I'm dealing, it's great to be able to help these girls with their game and, and see them improve. It's just, and, and because I've taught quite a bit in my lifetime, I'm able to help them. And so I'm really liking that.
So high school golf, I would trade it for anything. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds so great. And you've obviously worked with kids for a long time. What's a common mistake you see they do on the golf course? Anger. If I had to tell you, I watch kids play, and if I could give them any advice at all, it would be to not be so hard on themselves when they hit bad shots. You, you girls can know what I'm talking about. You hit a bad shot, you get down in the dumps, and that just starts affecting the rest of your play. If all these kids would realize that hitting bad shots is part of golf, but it's your ability to go to the next shot and improve upon that last shot that separates the people who become good players and those who just become just so-so players. Because anger is no place for a golf course. It just isn't. If you can just keep your head in the game, and the hardest part for golf is not to get out of the present. How many times either, you know, Angelina or either of you, you – you get three under par, you get four under par, and you start going, wow, if I can finish four under, I'll shoot a 68 while I'm out here. Oh, my goodness. And that means, you're not, that means you're not in the present anymore. You're out of the present. You're not thinking of the next shot. And when you start thinking that way, that's when things start falling apart. One shot at a time and no anger would be the, the biggest thing I would, I would tell you. And enjoy what you're doing. That would probably be the biggest thing I see. I see so many kids that play and they're miserable uh, because they're playing bad, because they're playing bad. Well, if every round you played was good, I guess it'd be the happiest game on earth, right? But yeah. that's not how it works. Any sport you have good and bad, football player, baseball player, baseball players, you know, you're a superstar if you have a 300 batting average. That's three out of 10 hits per 10, right? One less hit per 10 hits, and you're an average person. You're average. You're a 200 hitter. The same thing in golf. Mm -hmm. The difference between the best player and the worst player in the world is maybe one shot per round. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between the guy who finishes number one and the guy that finishes maybe in top 100. And it's no different as a junior player. You go out there and you you replay your game to yourself at the end of 18 holes, and you go, wow, I could have saved a shot there because I got angry. I three-putted there. I shouldn't have three-putted there. You know, oh, I missed that fairway, which caused me to hit a bogey, and that fairway was 50 yards wide. I mean, you sit there and you do that analysis for yourself. But at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you right now, I think the, the number one thing that ruins kids' golf game is their, is their anger. Mm-hmm. That would be my big thing. Not even, not even the parents, because the parents, they're off to the side. Yeah. Even when they're caddying for you, they're off to the side, technically. But if you get angry – you get think about this one huh? and be honest have there been times when you've been angry with your mom or dad while you're playing golf yeah 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 why you get angry at you when you get angry at them but who's hitting the shots you are so at the end of the day you know it's 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 you it's it's ultimately you not your mom and dad not your caddy so don't get angry stay focused and that that would be my biggest advice i would give kids Mm-hmm. That's that's really great advice. And besides score, what do you think separates a top player from like a mediocre player? I'm going to go as an example, Yana. Okay, I think Yana's the top player in town, and then we'll go somebody else. The sad part about golf 
is that everybody evaluates themselves against the best player. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you play in a golf tournament, you play against Yana, Yana wins, and you think, oh, I had a bad tournament. But you just shot 72, 72, 144. You had a good tournament. And that, to me, would be what I would tell the kids they should not do. Because what separates the good players from the bad players are the kids that have tenacity, practice, and can handle pressure. Some kids handle pressure, some don't. But that doesn't mean you can't develop that pressure. That doesn't mean you can't develop the ability to, to, because the more times I tell people this way, people sit there and they go, well, why should I play U.S. kids? You know, they're, they're one-day tournaments. You know, they don't mean a thing to me. Well, here's the reason why. Because if you set a goal for yourself, for example, I know we play the distances a little shorter on U.S. kids. If you set a goal for yourself that day that I want to shoot, I want to break 70. That's my par today. It's not 72. My par is 70. Then I'm going to go out and that's my goal. That's my goal because there's nothing wrong with having a goal. So you go out and you shoot 68 that day. Then you've achieved your goal. You were successful. The winner shot 64. Well, you still, you're still successful. I equate golf like this. Kids that have a meteoric rise like this, I mean, it just goes like off the chart. Watch what happens to that chart. Up and they have this steep decline. And, and part of the reason for that is, is because they're a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old, and they dominate. I, I won't mention this kid's name, but I'm going to just mention this, this young man. He played with us, and he dominated at six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Dominated. Powered the ball, played better than everybody else. Couldn't even make his high school team. Couldn't make this top six. Went on to college. Couldn't make this college team. He had to transfer out. It was just – it was – bad for him and I felt bad for him because the problem was that he he his game was such that he didn't develop all aspects of his game because he was so much bigger than everybody else that he didn't develop the game to me the kids that like a Barskoff who's a basically was like a runt his whole life he was five foot five at 14 years old and, and he was still a glad tiny kid but he won he won because he had the desire to win and he knew that he needed a short game. So he developed a very strong short game. To me, golf should be little steps all along the way, little steps. When you have this meteoric rise, believe me, it's a meteoric fall. The people who know that it's a marathon, I'm here for the long run. I'm going to stay focused and practice hard. And when I get better, I'm not going to slack off. The kids who lose focus, those are the ones that don't that don't take it to that next level. You know, think of it as your job. You know, if you lose focus in your job, what happens? You lose your, you might lose your job, you lose focus. Golf's the same way, you know, treat it like a job sometimes, go practice. Good story I can tell you. Tiger Woods is in his freshman or sophomore year in, in college. And at that time, he's the best player in the country. The coach gave him the day off because it was raining outside. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, well, we're going to go to the movies. You want to go with us? And he says, no, I'll see you guys later when you get back. Well, when they get back, he's on the driving range, hitting balls in the rain. And when he comes in, the players say to him, they go, what were you doing out there practicing in the rain? And here was his patented response. Maybe I've told you the story, but his patented response was this way. When, not if, when I play on the PGA Tour, I'm going to have to play in adverse conditions. What a, what a great opportunity for me to practice in the rain because I know I'm not playing in the rain. So his attitude was is that he knew that he was going to be playing in the rain. I'm going to practice in the rain. 
even I didn't do that. If it was raining, I wouldn't practice in the rain. So I can only imagine just uh, how dedicated that guy was. So <laughs> dedication, I, I think I would take dedication and tenacity over athleticism any day. Yes. How about that one? Yes. I really would. Definitely. And then you work with a lot of kids, but you also work with a lot of adults. What's a common mistake you see in parents, junior golfers? Helicopter, helicopter parents. Helicopter parents would be my number one thing. They, every, after every shot, they critique. After every single shot, they critique. You don't do that while you're playing. My, my biggest thing I tell parents is, is that don't take ownership of your child's round. If you went out and shot 72, one of the things I, I got a parent right now that does it, and, and it, it, it's going to end up being detrimental for his son, but he comes in after his son shot 72, and he goes, we had a 72. We had three birdies. We had uh, four sand saves. You know, whatever it is, it's we, 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 we. And I finally one day I got tired of hearing him brag about his, everything that he thinks he's doing, and I said to him, I go, hey, how many shots did you hit today? And he goes, what? I go, you didn't hit one shot today. Your son did. So you should say, your son did this. Your son did that. Well, no, no, no. I'm out there caddying. No, your son's hitting the shots, not you. And I would, if I had to give you any advice, if I had to give any parents advice, and this is after 20 years of doing this, quit taking ownership of your kids' rounds. Quit critiquing every shot and be a caddy and be a supporter. Your son would do, your son or daughter will do a lot better if after a bad round of golf, you give them praise than criticism. Yes. Because that will inspire them to do better. That will inspire them to try harder. But if you criticize them after a bad round or you criticize their bad shots, they're going to go away from that by saying, well, God, if mom and dad don't think I'm doing very good, why do I even want to play this game? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this just, isn't, this just isn't going to be my sport, I guess. And you know, it, it, if you try, if, if you put try in there as hard as you can all the time, that's going to make you a better player. And and I'm just telling you right now. And work on all aspects of your game. You know, too many kids go to a driving range, the first club out of their bag is the driver, wow. and they don't hit any other club in their bag. And, uh, you know, I, I, would tell, I would tell kids this, two-thirds of your time you spend on your short game, one-third of your time you spend on your long game. And I've heard, I'm sure you've heard that. So, but I, helicopter parents are probably my, my biggest nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. You, you played, you played with them. You know what they're like. How about kids that yell at their parents during around the golf? Can you imagine yelling at your kid? I just, I can't even fathom that. We've seen a lot of parents want to get involved, but also there's a boundary where they can't. How, in, how much do you think a parent should get involved in their junior state? I think the parents should guide them mentor them, Mm -hmm. support them, Mm -hmm. but don't criticize them. Mm -hmm. That that would be my my biggest thing I would tell them. There was a report done, and I've shared this with parents. Mm -hmm. When kids are asked, what do you like about mom and dad being there? One of the kids, all the kids, their number one answer out of all these kids they interviewed was, I enjoy my mom and dad being there watching me play. I like that. What don't you like about your mom and dad being there? I don't like it when mom and dad criticize me. 
Those are the two answers that kids give. And when kids ask, when they ask kids, why do you leave the game of golf? Because mom and dad made it not fun anymore. And because at the end of the day, if you keep it fun for them, they're going to want to play it. Think about anything you do, whether it be a game, whether it be outside playing with your friends. If all of a sudden your friends do things that aren't fun anymore, maybe you're heading back inside. You know, you don't want to do that anymore. And golf's the same way. If you enjoy that, because it's called a game for a reason, you, you, it's, you want it to be fun. And as soon as it's not fun, you quit playing. And I, that would be my biggest critique on parents is that, I mean, I could, I could tell you horror stories on things that I've heard parents say to their kids. I mean, I've had, I've had parents, you know, I've heard parents use drop horrible language to their children. I've heard parents say, you are stupid. I've heard parents say, you are a complete failure. What? I've had, I've heard parents say, I can't believe you just did that. Are you stupid? I mean, I, I, I've heard every bad thing you could possibly ever imagine parents saying to their kids. And it's a wonder why those kids continue playing, and I've seen a lot of them drop off, drop out. The kids who do well are the ones like yourself and, and others who – there's a fine line between pushing and, you know, guiding them. And there's a fine line. And as long as you figure out that fine line, you'll do well. Uh, I think all kids need to be pushed because they're not, their brain isn't focused enough to, to, you know, to, to do the, you know, maybe to focus on what they're doing at that time or maybe to go, oh, I, I don't want to practice today. I'm just going to watch television. Okay, then go watch television. No, a lot of parents will say, come on, let's go to the course. Let's, you know, let's go do that. Everybody needs a little bit of pushing. I don't care who you are. Even in, even in the adult world, you need a little bit of pushing sometimes. But uh, the ones who do the best are the ones whose parents are positive with them. That, that, that would be my biggest take on what I've seen in 20-plus years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you've been on a college golf team, so we were just wondering, what do you think makes a college coach pick a player? Well, three things, actually. They, college coaches look for kids who are have that – inner competitiveness about them, uh, never say die, and like they got grit. I guess that'd be a good way of saying it. College coaches look for a kid who doesn't give up during a round. You'll see, uh, you'll see some teams where the college coach will look at their scorecard and the kid shot 75, which maybe that day wasn't a great round for him. But that college coach will look at his last three, four holes. And if, all, and if he had all pars up into the last three, four holes, he's thinking to himself, okay, the kid gave up. College coaches want those kids that have that tenacity, that just that will to win. The other thing college coaches look at, they look at the mom and dad. If mom and dad, they interview the mom and dad, uh, he comes to the house and he's interviewing mom and dad and he's interviewing the ch child and he hears, hears mom and dad hovering and just being a total pain, the coach will drop him. I'm just telling you right now, most kids will lose out on scholarships not because of the player, but because of mom and dad, because uh -huh. mom and dad, because not, not, not to sound like I'm not trying to, you know, sound bad when I say this, but the parents that, that are jackasses that are just silly, dumb, silly people. Those are the ones that the coaches pass on because think about it. When you're a college coach, you not only do you have to deal with that kid, but you got to deal with the parents. 
So you decide this week you don't want to play their son. And he, the college coach gets an email from mom and dad, and it's this long. And he's berating the coach because his kid's not playing. Well, maybe he doesn't realize that, you know, Tommy was late three times to practice. His head hasn't been in the game, but mom and dad don't see that. Now, now they got a problem with the parents and they got a problem with the kid. Um, so th- those are the things that coaches look at. And I'll tell you the, the, one of the third thing they look at, they look at their grades. If you are a high school player and you don't have a 3.5 or higher, college coaches won't look at you. That's just the way of life it is now. And uh, so if you're, if, you're, if you're the best player in the city and you got a 2.5, you got very little chance of playing Division One. Yeah, um, I'm just telling you right now. So three things they look at: the player, mom and dad, grades. Mm-hmm. Yes. You better be doing well in all of those. And mom <laughs> and dad have derailed derailed more than one career. Your mom and dad will be awesome. Your mom and dad will just sit there. I know them, and they'll listen. They'll take it in, and then they'll listen to you girls. And then after they're gone, then they'll talk to you. Your mom and dad are great. I love your mom and dad. <laughs> your you girls don't know it how lucky you are. Uh, you're right. You're you're very lucky. Uh, from all these stories, oh my gosh, we have it really good. And then you've worked as a head pro in golf courses. Uh, what's a tip you can give about golf management or course management? Well, when when you work at a golf course, it uh, it's it's a totally different than if you're like a teacher mm-hmm. or if you're a um, playing on the tour when you when, when you work at a golf course you know it's 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 a job you know people are coming to a golf course to play golf you take their money back when i was doing it you know i gave lessons i worked in the golf shop uh i owned the golf shop but back then which is you know different than it is now you get a, you had a percentage of the cards you had a percentage of the range you know it was it was it was actually it was it was good it was a good industry now it's totally different you know but uh but it, um, but working at golf courses, the relationships that you build, and that's what I, and, and that's what's crazy when you think about it, because it just junior golf just kind of it just kind of segue, uh, being at a golf professional at golf course just segued over into being a uh, junior golf because this used to blow people away. When at the course I was at, we would probably do seventy thousand rounds a year at our course. It was it was it was anywhere between sixty five and seventy every year every year. And Tucson is famous for their snowbirds. And snowbirds are, I know that that term doesn't mean anything to you, but snowbirds are people from Iowa and Ohio, and they all converge to Arizona or Tucson at that time where I was working uh, during the winter, and we would call them winter birds. (laughs) And they would fly in, basically, or drive in. And then April, uh, April 15th, they were all gone. But for six months, they would be at your golf course. And what used to drive them, not drive them crazy, but what people were really impressed with is that out of the 70,000 people that played at my course, I knew 20,000 of them by name. Money? You could walk through my golf, you could walk into my golf shop and I would know your name. Or you would be gone for six months. I wouldn't see you for six months. And then you would come back to the golf course. And you would walk through the door, and I would go, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, hi, great to see you again. And they would look at me, and they would say, how in the heck do you remember our names? How do you do that? And I, it's just 
something that I developed over the years. But I mean, I would know, I bet you I knew 20,000 people by their names. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, it's just crazy. And then, but I, but I had a, I'll be honest with you. I loved being a professional when I, from 1980 to 1989, I was at this course in Tucson. I, that's, I mean, I got married. I had, you know, my kids when we were there, but I mean, there are so many fond memories, oodles of golf, oodles of fun, uh, relationships with people. You know, you, you, you get to know people, you go out to dinner with them, you make friends, you have those people over to your house. I mean, it's, it's a very, very, um, uh, sociable type of thing to where you look back on that and it was, it was, it was pretty amazing. I was very lucky. I feel very lucky to have been in that industry at that time. Would you say, or like, what do you suggest a junior to work more in full swing or short game? Two thirds short game, one third long game. Now, are there times when you need to reverse that a little bit? Yeah. Say your, say your short game is just going great but you're driving, you're not driving the ball as well as you should. Then you need to focus a little bit more on that. But at the end of the day, I'd like to see my numbers that I always told minimally, minimally half and half, and the, but preferably two-thirds, one-third. The greatest equalizer in your bag is your putter. It really is. Give you a perfect example. You hit the ball to the right of the green, uh, or you hit it down the middle, you miss the green to the right, you chip up to like this, and you make the putt for a four. Well, the guy you're playing with, he hits the ball down the middle. He knocks the ball on the green, 10 feet from the hole. He two putts for a par. And he looks at you and he thinks, oh, man, I'm hitting the ball great. And this guy's hitting the ball like a chump and he's tied with me. You go to the next hole, the next hole. And then all of a sudden, because your short game is better than him, pretty soon you're under par because every time you hit a green, you're making a birdie or you're making no worse than a par. And every green you miss, you get up and down. So at the end of 18 holes, you hit the ball worse than your playing competitor, but you putted better than him. And you have a lower score. And he goes home scratching his head thinking, what the heck just happened out there? I hit that ball 10,000 times better than Angelina, and she just kicked my butt. And that's how you have to, that's how you have to look at, at golf, is that it's not – who has the prettiest swing mm -hmm. It's who effectively gets the ball in the hole better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you that, that Lee Trevino, ugliest swing on the tour at one time. Get, he got the ball in the hole just like anybody. Uh, Jim Furyk, Jim Furyk's got that big loop in his swing. Um, who's the left-handed player that won the masters? What's his name? Bubba, Bubba Watson. Bubba Watson's got an ugly golf swing. And, but guess what? He's a winner. Uh -huh. So, so end of end of day, girls. It's not about it's not about pretty. It's about getting the ball in the hole, and that's what I would tell the kids is that that should be your mindset. How about this one? You get guys who play on their home course all the time, like we'll say TPC, and you go out and you shoot par, and you go, man, I'm hitting the ball so good, I'm playing great. You go to another golf course, you shoot 75, 78, and you go, what what's going on? I hit that. I was hitting that ball so good. You need to get to the point where no matter what course you're on, you have that ability to get the ball in the hole. That's the people who play who, – who, who, that's the people who want to play it professionally. Yes, definitely. And then finally, we're coming to end. What All right. Yeah, what advice do you give to junior golfers and their parents? Just let the kids have fun. I think we've, that's been kind of our, our – our topic of conversation throughout most of this is that 
quit taking ownership of your kids' rounds because mm-hmm. you're not hitting the shots. Quit being helicopter parents. And you're there to support them. You're there to guide them. And, and as long as you do those things, your kids are going to have a great time. But, and I say but, but it's hard for parents to do that because it, I'm better at doing it because I played golf at a very high level. Most people who are these helicopter parents could, can't, couldn't break an egg and can't break a hundred, but yet they're out there trying to mentor their kids to break par. One of the reasons, and I know, I don't know if you know this or not, I think one of the reasons Yana Wilson is a little bit better than most of the kids right now, her dad is a scratch player. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that or not. So he's been able to mentor her from a good playing ability. I meant I can mentor kids to be better players because I'm a good player and I can help them with how to get the ball in the hole, the mindset, your ability to to evaluate courses, when to go with a green, when not to go to green, when to play the safe shot, when to when to lay up 100 yards out or 100 or 75 yards out so you can come in with more spin. This is course management doesn't happen overnight. It happens over the course of your learning of your playing career. Number one thing I would tell kids, um, aside from having fun, is to learn proper course management. Once you learn, and also the third thing, I'm going to give one, three things. Know how far you hit your clubs. Uh-huh. If you know how far you hit a seven iron, then if I, if I scope it for you and tell you 138 yards out, then you know exactly what club to hit 138 yards. But if you don't know what club goes 138 yards, it doesn't do me any good to tell you the distance. I tell this all the time, and I, it, it drives my buddies crazy when I play golf with them because I'll, I'll scope it like this, and I'll say, it's 155. Oh, I got a 155-yard club in my bag, and I'll grab my club out, and doggone if it doesn't go 155. He goes, how do you do that? And I go, because I've been playing so long, I know exactly how far my club's going to go. That's the difference between a quality player and just a so-so player. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for letting us interview you. Oh my God, I'm I'm honored. I'm humbled and honored that you guys would think of me for this. Thank you for listening today. Please share this with a friend and subscribe to be sure you get our next episode. Hope your next round is your best round.